So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited to talk to you today about some of the most important principles that there are in investing, entrepreneurship, starting your own business. But before we do, I want to give you a quick update on a few things. I apologize. This episode has taken a little while longer to get out than the others. I have been traveling a lot the first part of this year. All good things. We've been looking at opportunities. I've had some speaking events at a few different conferences we're going. And for all of you that are listening here that are obsessed with self-storage, we do have our self-storage income podcast. I wanted to remind you that you can hop over there and uh, also ask everybody that if you're enjoying our content and if you are loving what we're putting out, please give us a five-star review. It really helps us out. And with that, we'll cue the intro music and jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we're going to talk about something very, very critical. Man, this is just such an important subject. I want to make sure we give it the right context and we talk about it in the framework in which I want you guys to understand this very well. We, we need to do a video on this also so I can put up some numbers and we can we can look at some things that I can that you guys can watch on YouTube. But until then, let me try to get this point across. It's this idea of value. And the reason this is important right now, we've talked in our past podcasts about our current economic situation. As I've been speaking, I've been speaking with economists, and we get to listen um, at where we think we are as a country, where we may be going. And honestly, for the most part, we are doing amazing as a country. And this is really important for you to understand because there's so much noise out there, right? You have talking heads that are trying to convince us that the world is failing and that everything is wrong when the reality that is shown in the numbers is so far from that. And the people that play into that fear-based, they hold themselves back. And they're waiting for a world that's going to blow up because some talking head on the TV told them, and it never does. And instead, everybody that's just getting down, getting to work, seeing all the opportunity, they're moving forward, they're, they're capitalizing on opportunity, and they're progressing. Um, and a lot of times, this holds us back because we hear these snippets of opinions on the news or on social media, and those those little headliners, right? We all know what we're talking about, right? Democracy is failing. You know, things like that that are just absolute noise. I really want you guys to get away from the noise and how we focus on reality. And one of the things that we try really hard in our organization to do is to say, let's look at the reality of the situation and let's focus on value. This helped us during the real estate crisis when everyone was screaming, don't touch real estate, and we started buying, and everyone told us we were stupid. They said, what are you doing? Real estate's a failed asset class. It's going to only crash more. Hindsight's 2020. We all look back and say, well, that was great, right? 
the reason we weren't buying it, but the reason we were buying at the time, the reason we bought personal property as well as investment property in 2000 and, you know, 10 and 9, the, the reason we bought it was because of this value idea and the things made sense. Um, it wasn't because we time markets. And the reason we either slow down and don't buy is not because we're timing markets. It, it comes back down to value. And we definitely are not listening to the noise. The more information you can gather from original sources, and when we look at information, we're looking at data sets that is given um, from the government and from professionals. Um, We're not looking from things like news agencies, which just, it's just noise, guys. Don't listen to it. And that's important to preface because we get so confused on value. So we want to take this idea of people asking, the reason we bring this up is we have so many people that are asking us, emailing us, saying, where should I buy? Is now a good time to buy? What's going to happen, right? Are you buying? Are you selling? Um, And it's a reasonable question because we have been in such a long bull market in the United States that we are getting to a point that people are scared because we feel like it's just time. Now, the first thing I should say is, you know, that bull markets don't die of old age, okay? There's not a set time frame in which bull markets should end. Now, with that said, they all do. We understand that. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know if it's next year or in two years, but it will end and we will be in a recession. But two, you also need to realize that recessions are not the norm. That is not the normal state of the economy. The normal state of the economy is growth. So think of the last 10 years of growth that we've had. It doesn't matter what news channel you're on. It doesn't matter who's speaking or what social media you're on. Everyone is saying how bad it is, how it's getting worse, when the reality is it only has gotten better. We'll hit a recession, and everybody will try to then say, you know, Oh, yeah, see, I knew there was a recession coming. But if you're always saying that a recession's coming, of course you're going to be right because they always come. The point is, is that's not the norm, though. That is the off chance that we have a recession. And then things stabilize and we just keep on growing. That's why timing markets makes no sense because you're trying to predict something that, first of all, is not predictable. And that gets you away from a value add strategy, and it gets you farther away for understanding the value of the business model or the strategy that you're putting into place. And that and that's the ticket right there. That's the key to this all. You need to create value through your processes, your systems, your business model, And you need to understand how to underwrite and how to value assets, businesses, and investments. So let's talk about that. Value is constructed of two sides. You have return and risk. This is how we construct value. So if I have an asset, the value is what it can return to me or it can return to shareholders. So it's revenue that it can return, right? And it's risk associated with owning that asset. Now, this may not all be monetary, but there's two ways to affect value, okay? You can increase the returns or you can secure those returns. 
Let's talk about each. Businesses hold value because of their ability to grow. Like tech stocks trade at high multiples times earnings. So their value of the stock is uh, the is a price a multiple times the earnings. So it's huge. It's like 30, 32 or 35 times earnings, right? Um, they trade at that because their growth, their revenue growth potentials is so high that people are buying it saying this has a lot of future value, right? But we do it in the form of a stock, which is easily liquidable because the risk is there. So I say, yeah, if I don't like it, I'll just exit out of it really quick and I'll get out. Now, if I couldn't exit it and I had to hold it in the long term and I had to put all my money into it, that'd be extremely risky. So another way that companies go and people go about growing and getting money to grow is they issue bonds. Bonds are very safe because they are backed by assets, not just the market's whim, right? It's debt. And so you can lower your risk of a company defaulting and then they grade and rate the bonds. So if you look at real estate, right? Real estate's returns are generally smaller than businesses, cash flow returns to you, but the risk is also really low. And so it usually, right, you're foregoing uh, returns or risk. I like to tie the two together. I like high returns and I like low risk, right? But essentially, that's how we use valuations. People are looking at your returns to your risk. You can either, in order to increase the value of an underlying business. So, Let's put it in context of something that you may understand. If you're trying to buy a franchise, and I have two franchises, and let's say that one franchise is a massage therapist, and the guy's the masseuse, and all of his clientele, he's doing the work. Well, the risk of me taking over that business and it being successful is high because there's no system, there's no process. I have to hope that people come back. I hope that those people like me. And if they don't like me, they're going to leave because they were doing business with Bob, right? Whereas if you have a massage business franchise that people are buying into the business model, they'll keep buying it. The processes and systems are already set into place. It's a lot lower risk because it's not solely dependent on me. So that'll trade for a higher value, right? So you need to look at business models that you can scale or continue to grow the returns while lower risk. This is why I stayed out of real estate until I got into self-storage because I needed something that I could increase my returns while keeping my risk low. Well, I needed to increase the returns through business operations, right? So that led to storage because I had products, different things that I could manipulate to increase those returns, increase the value while maintaining the low risk. Now, when you look at things that uh, are the underlying uh, movements of that business. So what is actually pushing moving forward returns and uh, has the effect on risk, you're looking at these drivers. And this is where value comes up. So what are the drivers between the returns? And what are the drivers that affect risk? And this is really important when analyzing any business that you're going to buy. We bought an online business. The online business had um, it had already a brand, a part of it. It already had negotiated contracts with manufacturers to build products at a certain price level. It had stabilized product sales, and it also had pipeline 
of um, or sales channel for those products to be sold at, right? Now, when we looked at the risk of it, it was an existing model that we could purchase. The users of the products wouldn't even know that we purchased, nor would they care. So there was little risk of disrupting it. We look at two sides, and this is this is where you look at. You look at controllable and uncontrollable. So the first side, when we looked at purchasing this business, we looked at the controllable sides, and that we focused on management. How how much better could we execute? Could we drive down prices? Could we start working on other lines, adding products to improve the business's image and overall cart size, get a higher number, which is what we did. We were getting not only that, but getting patented products. We're also improving the way that um, the businesses ran. They weren't doing advertising, nothing like that, which we can include in all of those. We can change the look and the feel of the product to bring it up, make it look more modern, more competitive. So on a controllable level, we already knew we had the skill to increase those revenues. On an uncontrollable side, so the drivers that affect returns and risk that are uncontrollable. Most of these things you mitigate through contracts. So like the seller is coming back and wanting more or fighting you for the business or whatever that may be. Lawsuits, damages, right? You get you hire attorneys to build you contracts to protect you from things. But there's also the uncontrollables that happen as far as markets go. So in this business line, one of the uncontrollables you look at is um, our ability to get our product to market. How stable is that? Is that going to change? Are we going to have a supply chain disruption that would affect us selling our product to a certain market? We felt secure that those uncontrollables weren't going to change. Now, there's overall markets that deal with supply and demand. How are those things going to change, right? We believe that demand would hold steady. That wasn't going to change. Other things like capital pricing, we controlled those. So our uncontrollables that affected our returns to bring down returns and affected risk were very, very low, while our controllables to affect and bring returns up and lower risk were very high. What that means is that equals a low risk proposition for us because they're known, all right? Now, that was on our online business we bought. Let me move this over to two other sides of the business. I'm going to move this into a startup, not a purchased business, okay? a startup phase, and then we're also going to look at real estate to understand this value mark. Um, One of the things that we did is we are part of a startup that focuses on, um, it is a software product that's a CRM, but most of the time you have two problems. You have the, with startups, you have the risk that the market won't accept the customers won't like the product, so the product fails. And then you're trying to tie in generally, even if the customers want the product, to get it into the product uh, to the customer's hands. What we did is we combined it with us and 10 other large operators that we have hundreds of storage facilities that would use a CRM. We put the money into it. We did a round. We hired the developers, the team that have already developed software products. So the controllables and the management offerings, they could build this product type for us, which we're already the customers of it. Then we put our money and backed it. So we're basically supplying our own demand. Now, that doesn't mean it can't fail, right? 
Of course it can, but the buyers are already in hand and the buyers can say exactly what they want out of the product. Then from there, our, ups our, our um, upside is how many other people in the market are going to go purchase that product, lease it out to us, and then uh, once those stabilized revenues, as they grow, we trade at multiples above that. So it's a really good deal. With our uncontrollables, we lowered as much as possible. Of course, there could be recessions, market changes, but the point is we're not just out there guessing. You're not out there gambling. You're almost like rigging the game in your favor. Now, the second part is on the real estate side. So the value of how we underwrite and how we look at a storage facility. We have the overall returns, which are increased returns. This is important. We increase to market rates. And I know that we've talked a lot about this, but there's a spread between operational performance today and future operational performance. But the future operational performance has to be known. What I mean by that is oh, I'm going to buy a house. In that house, I'll be able to increase the rent 3% every year for the next 10 years. Well, I don't know that. That's a guess. And general markets go up, right? But if I buy a house who, who rents their property out for $500 and I can put $50,000 into it and bring it up to the house that rents at $1,000, the exact same quality level, that is a known increase. So I know I can increase those returns then I want to secure those future revenues, okay? That's the risk side, right, that obtains value. Well, I can secure those revenues through either management style offerings, contracts. There's a whole bunch of things you can do to secure the future revenues of that product type. Therefore, you're increasing the value of that asset type. The point being, once again, value is perceived, okay? So when you look at value, value is perceived by people on its future benefits and its future risks. Now, I, I have a saying, I do not let bankers tell me what I can afford, and I do not let agents tell me what something's worth. The reason being is price does not equal value. Now, I know we have some EMT people, efficient market theory people that are screaming, my MBA book said, but listen. Listen, efficient market theory is nonsense in the short term. It's, I, I just, I don't know how we can argue that, but it's basically been proven. If you don't remember, just go back 10 years ago and tell me how efficient marketplaces were. Because efficient market theory is assuming that all the available buyers and all the available sellers are in a marketplace that is functioning properly and all have access to the exact same information and abilities of capital and everything else like that. That just doesn't happen in today's world, today's economy. It never has. I believe markets are efficient in the long run, but they are riddled by inefficiencies in the short run. Okay? So value is not, doesn't mean because Apple is trading at 300 that it's worth 300 today, but then if Apple's trading at 100 tomorrow, well, it's worth 100 tomorrow. It just, that doesn't make sense. It can't lose all that value overnight and have it be true, okay? So you need to understand value by the returns that the asset or business can produce and the risk that you assume to get those returns. Most of us are out looking over the future. You need to look at today, next day, the future, but the drivers of the returns and the risk are what's important. What con is controllable and what are uncontrollable? When there's more things that are uncontrollable 
than controllable, I walk away. And lots of the uncontrollable things in an asset class are usually when people don't know what they're doing. So if I'm looking at investing, if we have an operator of a business that we're coming in to start a business with, and that operator lacks a lot of the controllable levers to increase those returns and reduce risk, those levers then fall into the uncontrollable pocket because he doesn't have the ability to do that. Or I don't have the ability to do that. As we started out, and this is why you see a scale and why people grow and they compound and wealth and you know the rich seem to get richer, it's because they, they get better. They understand more and you compound out skills. When we started, we started with small facilities and third tier markets. Right? I started sales door to door. I'd sell companies that had three people. Now we sell self-funded accounts and our brokerage to large companies where we're managing those monies and we're buying bankrupt super Kmarts and turning them into ginormous storage facilities because we have more controllables than we do uncontrollables. So our value is known. The more we understand value, the more we see opportunity. I hope this is making sense, and I know it's kind of a a, a, pedi- uh, a little stool I'm standing on here yelling. Um, this is so fundamentally important, though, to finding opportunity, to capitalizing on it, um, is to understanding value. And it is not something that you learn on CNBC. It is not something that they're going to tell you. And if you're trying to get your economic outlook, and you're trying to decide whether you should buy, sell, invest, start a business pay for your kids college and cash or debt? Should I buy a car? Should I lease it? And CNN or Fox News or any of those other talking heads are making those decisions for you. You're doing it wrong. That's bad. Don't do it that way. We have to come up with values based upon your returns, your risks, controllables and uncontrollables. And as long as you can manage out those things, and you can weigh those things, you will make better decisions. You're going to make mistakes, I promise you. That's fine. Remember, just like markets are not efficient in the short term, neither are you. Neither am I. But in the long term, we expect to be efficient. Markets and progress keep moving. The recessions are the out of the norm things. When you fail, as long as you're doing things right like you should be, that is not the norm. I understand that. I understand I'm going to fail. But when I fail, that's not the norm. Progress keeps moving in the same pace, as so you should. All right? With that said, everybody, I hope you're out there killing it. I hope you're just slaying it. You're progressing. You're moving forward. Thank you guys for all your letters, your messages. We've, um, I mean, I've, I have four or five calls tonight with a bunch of people um, that have reached out. We've just been overwhelmed and very, very appreciative. I hope this helps a lot of those questions I've been discussing with people over email, phone, and on Instagram. Uh, keep them coming though. It helps us create better content for you guys and what you'd like to see. Until then, everybody, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.